Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Now, it's another issue of The Spectre this week. Issue 5 of The Ongoing, The Spectre being the only member of the Justice Society to get a series at this point in time. Between you and me, listeners, Peter's getting a bit bored of The Spectre, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. You know, I just wish wish there was more we could dive into at the time, but we can only go with what DC made. So here we are. It's interesting because he really is carrying the can at this point. You know, mm-hmm. we last mm-hmm. week obviously we did the final team up of the Silver Age between the Legacy Heroes, if you like. You know, the the final GL team up. Yeah. Apart from the regular JLEJC team ups for the next year or two, there's there's not a lot happening. Nope, true. So we'll probably get through the next couple of years quicker than we might have done the last couple of years. I think on on balance. Mm-hmm. So issue five of the Spectre, published on the fourteenth of May, nineteen sixty eight, and it's our eighth. Count them. Our eighth Neil Adams cover. There's a bit of a Dutch tilt going on in this cover, isn't there? There certainly is, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Dutch Tilt Watson, they call him round our way. Do you want to tell everyone about the cover? I'd be delighted. We have a massive, tall, looming spectre standing above two buildings below him. It's a panicking crowd. And the spectre's got this grim, angry look in his face. And in each hand, he has... A bunch of people! I know! What's the collective noun for people? A bunch of people? A selection of people? Uh, a panic of people? I mean, a handful of... I mean, it's, it's great because there's people clinging on for dear life. Mm-hmm. He does look like he's gone mad. And the people down the street, there's one guy in army uniform. Mm-hmm. It's very, very striking. You know, the, the angle sort of looking right up at him, it's very dynamic. There is. And there's also a caption that says, Fugitive from Justice. Yeah. What I like as well is that in his earlier Silver Age appearances, the Spectre logo has sort of had his head and collar, part of his cape, looming round the side of the S. Yes. And the way the logo has been sort of tilted and stretched, mm-hmm. stretching to the right of the cover, it's almost like he's still popping out from behind the, the bottom curve of the S, but it's the full figure of him. I hadn't actually picked up on that until you said that there, but yeah, it's a yeah. fantastic touch. That's definitely not a coincidence, yeah. It's very clever. It just shows that Mr. Adams was, was thinking a little deeper then perhaps he really had to. Mm-hmm. Now, it's before we get into the story, there's an awful lot of say-what-you-see captioning, yes. which we've experienced quite a lot in the past. So a lot of the sort of descriptive stuff that I normally do, listeners, will probably just be slightly embellishing on the see-what-you-see caption. So we'll see how we go. Mm-hmm. It's not a massive cast, and because I'm doing the voice of the Spectre and Jim Corrigan and the describing it, there's going to be an awful lot of me, and I'm a bit throaty, so bear with us, kids. <laughs> we will see how we get on. It is another Neil Adams-drawn and scripted story, so mm. yeah, this should be quite interesting. It is. I don't think I'd read this properly before the preparation, but I do remember looking at it because when I was flicking through it, mm-hmm. there's something that happens quite near the end, which is a bit of a surprise, you know, with spoilers. Yeah. Make sure you don't look at the, the panels on Facebook and Instagram that we post for this story before listening to the episode, listeners, unless you want anything spoiled. I had completely forgotten about the sort of the surprise, so it was quite cool. Yeah, me too. And we'll talk more about that when we get there. Cool. So, we jump straight into the story. The inside front cover has a house ad for issue 62 of Green Lantern and issue 208 of Superman which has Superman flying beside the Eiffel Tower. So that's quite nice. And we have an opening. It's not so much a splash panel, just an opening page. Very intricately designed, because what we have at the top, we see a figure wearing a, a hooded parka, fur-lined parka, with a backpack on his back and gloves and ropes and proper climbing equipment, scaling on top of a mountain. And carved into the ice on the side of this mountain is the word prologue. And over a little patch of snow, there is an opening caption that says, A small struggling figure claws its way up the mountainside above Dalton Gange in northern India. Over the rise lies the small mountain town of Crewe, his destination. We see the figure. You can see his little pickaxe in his hand here. He's looking down at the, the small town, and there's a caption that says, With emotionless eyes, the intruder surveys the desolate town, behind whose shuttered-up houses hide the townspeople from... The menacing man with no face. Yes, we get a good look at him in this next panel as well. He's wearing a face mask that's completely blank, featureless. Straight, smooth down his face, just eye sockets so he can see out. Very effective. The next panel, we see him grabbing one of the locals by the scruff of his jacket, and the caption says, Finally, a lone townsman ventures out, all too eager to direct the traveller on his way. And we see the townsman pointing to another building that's further up the hill. Very ornate-looking building. And the final panel of this page, we see our masked, parka-wearing figure walking up towards this building. 
and we have a caption for the final panel. With quickened pace, the faceless man clambers further up the cliffside to the ramshackle dwelling and wizened old man waiting before it. Yes, and we see from the back an elderly figure who's emerged from the building and is standing there as a masked figure walks towards him. We're right at the top of page two now, and it looks like the elderly figure has taken the masked man inside his little dwelling, his little building. For the caption says, With trembling fingers, the old man points to his treasure. His stuttering tongue explains its properties, but of these things the faceless man already has knowledge. And what we see on a table is a sort of green crystal ball. It's glowing brightly. It's casting a green light over the the elderly gentleman and the masked figure. But we see the masked figure is raising his hand up behind the elderly gentleman as if to strike. And the caption says, All he is interested in now is... Possession. Yep, he's after that green ball. And it looks like he's got it. In the next panel, we see that the masked figure is running back down the mountainside, and the villagers are hurling rocks after him. You can see that he's got something in his hand. He must have wrapped up the ball. The caption for this panel says, Then comes flight, and a futile attempt by the enraged mountaineers to abort it. Yep. So, so say, listeners, it reads very well if you read it in your head, but it might not translate as well with us telling it, so bear with us, we'll do our best. So, the next panel is a close-up shot of the man in the mask holding the green globe, and he's looking into it. The caption for this panel says, Days later, back in his western world, the treasure thief utilises the globe's eerie power to locate a source of mystical energy. Yeah, and there's a man coming into shape inside the globe, like a vision of it. It looks like a just a regular guy. It looks maybe as if he might be dead on his luck, standing in the alleyway between a couple of old iron dustbins. The masked figure is thinking, Why did the globe focus on a drifter? Surely he can't be the source of such awesome energy? So the final two panels of page two show a close-up of the action that the masked figure is watching the globe. In the first panel, we see the man opening the barrel of a gun, and a bullet falls into the palm of his hand. And then in the final panel, the bullet seems to be glowing and shaking and vibrating. And, well, let's have the dialogue from the masked figure for all of this. There it is. That bullet. It's radiating tremendous power. Now, to transmit that energy to me. (gasps) The bullet is dissolving. No, no, it can't be. Not when I'm so close. Gosh, so we have a little caption that says now, continuing the third page following. What is going on with that bullet, listeners? That's what I want to know. Mm. So we pass a full-page advertisement for Dead Man appearing in Strange Ventures. Very stylistic, very pretty. And page three is a full-page panel. Headed at the top, chapter one. And we're inside a big shop, by the looks of things. There's an escalator. There's a sign in the background saying sale. We can see the background some counters. There's some signs on tabletops with prices on them. And there's a crowd of shoppers. And standing, looming over the top of this escalator is a man. He's grown to giant, enormous size. All of his clothes are torn. And he's yelling. One man at the front of the escalator exclaims, Get back! Get back! Whatever it is, it's gone crazy! And another guy says, Man, it's ripping up everything in sight. Let's get the blazes out of here before it stomps us. And then another voice off camera says, Please let us through. We're the police. So there's a lot going on here. Bottom of the page now, we have a caption box that sets us up and says, In times past, the sight of the spectre has signalled justice and retribution, swift and harsh to those on the wrong side of the law. But can he have that same effect on law-abiding people? Can it be that the name of the The spectre Spectre means death? Awesome. Tiny caption, story in art, but he Adams. So yes, a voice cries, please let us through the police, over the page, top of page four. And a caption for the first panel says, Leading the police detachment is Captain Jim Corrigan, in whose body is housed the Grim Spectre, Guardian of Good. And this panel, it's not quite one of Peter's preferred Dutch tilts, but there's certainly some interesting perspective. We're with Jim Corrigan, another police officer, as they arrived at the scene. We can see the large figure still standing at the foot of the escalator. He's grabbed what looks like either a large bit of wood or a support pillar. Corrigan barks an instruction to one of the police officers that he's with. Too many people. We can't use our guns. Then he thinks, Spectre, we need your help. This panel shows the Spectre looming out of Jim's body, racing up towards the the giant figure. The Spectre says, I'm on my way, Jim. See if you can get those people back. Caption for panel two. At the sight of the Spectre, an expression of fear crosses the glowing features of the colossal creature. That almost rhymes. Yes, a nice close-up of the, the guy that's looming over the escalator. There's a burst of light over his eyes. It's very effective. The next panel shows the spectre flying over the crowd of shoppers. The caption says, The crowd mirrors the fear seen on the monster's face when they too spot the ghostly guardian. Yeah. A woman in the crowd of shoppers cries, A ghost! A man looking up says, No, 
Not a ghost. It looks like... like death. And another woman says, The spectre of death and it's coming after me. Ah! The caption then for the final panel on page four says, Like a wave, blind panic grips the crowd, and as one they turn and run, screaming and clawing to get away from the dreadful apparition of the spectre. In the background of the panel, we see the spectre throwing a punch at the giant figure that was standing astride the escalator. We see the crowds panicking, starting to run. One man cries, He's gonna get me! Stay away! Stay away! Someone else cries, Ah! Someone else cries, No! 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 Top of page five, it's one of Neil Adams' patented, sort of oddly diagonally placed panels here. Close up of the spectre as he sees at the corner of his eye the shop customers running off in a panic. The spectre thinks, I've always dreaded this would happen. This collective panic at the sight of me. I'll have to stop time for a few moments to save them from themselves. And the next sequence of panels shows the spectre ducking down. There's a gentleman, a woman, there's a little boy in front of him who's obviously tripped. The spectre's getting the little boy out of the way so that he doesn't get stepped on. As he does this, he thinks, The vengeance of the spectre is not for such innocence as these. There's a woman who looks so she's going to fall down some stairs in the next panel. So the spectre grabs a hold of her, thinking, And my harsh judgment will not be served unless I undo all that I have done this past moment. And then with a zack sound effect, we see him zapping the crowd. And he thinks, Now, to regress their minds back to the instant before they saw me, so they will have nothing to fear. Well, that's very effective, very tidy. The caption for the final panel on page five. When time begins again, everyone but Jim Corrigan has forgotten those brief seconds when the spectre had appeared. So in the foreground of the final panel, we see a couple of gentlemen conversing. The first guy says, You know, it's funny. For a while there, I was afraid of something. Now, I don't remember what the devil I was scared of. The same thing happened to me, except I've also forgotten what I came to the store to buy. I can't figure it out. I'd better call my wife. In the background of this panel, you can see the spectre and Jim. Jim's looking out through a hole in the wall. And the spectre, standing very cowed and looking very pale, almost translucent, is thinking, in response to the, the punter who's nearby. Strange. Did I wipe out more of his memory than I intended? Interesting because obviously the guy's forgot what he was in to buy. Jim's looking out the hole in the wall, saying, Looks like Bright Eyes wasn't stopped by your time-stopping device, Spec. Top of page six, the spectre replies, saying, Bright Eyes, as you call him, doesn't worry me as much as the reaction of the crowd to myself. I realise I'm no Cary Grant, but that I would engender such stark terror is beyond my comprehension. Corrigan puts a reassuring hand on the spectre's shoulder, saying, It's hard to say how it happened. Sometimes even I... Look, Spec, you said it yourself. You're no Cary Grant. Now let's get back on the case. Are you going to get after this character? I wish I could, but he left no trail. Physical or non-physical. Says the Spectre, then pointing out the hole in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Which is obviously created by the guy. Anyway, Jim replies to the Spectre, saying, Don't worry about that. He's too big not to be noticed. He'll turn up sooner or later. But then they're interrupted by one of their police colleagues who runs up, saying... Captain Corrigan, he's been spotted in Route 67, just five miles outside of town. Right, well, there we have it. The next panel, the spectre has flown off to Route 67, just five miles outside of town. And we see the spectre flying towards, well, it's a big arrow on the side of the panel that points and says, Shopping Centre. And we can see the giant figure who's causing all the stramash inside the shop, and he's throwing cars around. People are just standing about watching him. <laughs> spectre flies up thinking, I feel curiously weak. I wish I'd spend some time in Jim's body resting up. And he spots the big guy that he's after and continues to think, There he is. I won't let him get away this time. The caption in for the final panel, page six. As before, fear clouds the features of the raging behemoth and is mirrored on the faces of the bystanders. Yeah, a spectre loops and flies down towards the crowd that are standing around the giant figure. We can see that they're all looking up into the air and they're terrified. Spectre's thinking, Crowds again. And once more the sight of me brings terror to their eyes. Too late to make myself invisible. So we're top of page seven now. He flies towards the, the giant figure, is still holding a car, dead casually. And the spectre gestures with his right hand, creating a sort of greyish purple wave which flashes over the crowd. Yeah. And the spectre's thinking, a jolt of time suspension will stop them from causing harm to themselves. In the next panel, the spectre flies up and connects with the giant figure, the giant man who we're assuming was the guy that the, the masked figure saw in his globe in the alleyway, and with a crack, punches him in the jaw. The spectre thinks, Now to see how this thing can take punishment. But the big guy then retaliates with a scrock sound effect in the next panel, striking the spectre down. The spectre thinks, Well, so much for that. I must find out if anything affects him. 
In the final panel of page seven, the, the spectre's very helpful thought bubble explains what he's doing. What we see is that the giant figure sort of trying to move out of the way as the spectre is gesturing. And there's basically dozens of multicoloured spheres just flying towards him. And the spectre's thinking, I'll fire cannonballs of every known element, plus a few unknown ones at him. One of them is bound to do some damage. Wowza. And the first panel, page eight, <laughs> shows the figure being struck. And there's almost like there's an explosion going on. It's an amazing sound effect that says, <laughs> Gosh. Panel two. The spectre's reading up above the figure. It doesn't seem too bored. Spectre's thinking, oh, Fantastic. Nothing happened. Feeling weaker myself. Well, if matter cannot affect him, then antimatter should do it. And then the next panel was a massive scash sound effect. As we see the spectre hurling a bolt of energy at the giant figure. And again, we see this burst of energy around the giant figure's, giant man's eyes, like we did earlier on. Mm -hmm. The spectre thinks, Incredible. It had no effect whatsoever. Even I am affected to some degree by antimatter. What could he be composed of? So the spectre can conjure up antimatter. There you That's go. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Uh-huh, yes. Bear that in mind for Crisis of Infinite Earth. Yes, it could be handy. <laughs> Spoilers. So we arrive at the bottom of page eight now, a little sequence of three panels. The spectre starts to grow to enormous size, saying, All right, the hard way. I'll enlarge myself to suit you, and we'll have it out. But then the giant figure cries, Fool, look behind you. The spectre whirls, thinking, What? My time suspension should have lasted longer than that. And we can see the crowd that were standing watching all this nonsense starting to run. The spectre continues to think. Could he have? No. I detect no interference. He calls after the crowd in the next panel, saying, Wait! Stop! You'll harm yourselves. And then he thinks, What fools these mortals? In the background we can see the, the big guy getting up to mischief. As the crowd run away, one of them yells, It's death! It's death! We're doomed! So again, they're reacting to the, the sight of the spectre. And as I say, in the background of the panel, we can see that the, the giant man is grabbing hold of a tower. But what we actually see on page nine in a massive panel is the, the giant man throwing this tower towards the crowd. And as he does so, the giant figure says, Go ahead, spectre. Freeze him in time again. They'll make even better targets. Spectre lunges forward, crying, No! And one of the women in the crowd screams, Aye! And someone else says, Got to get away! And a final figure says, Help! And with a tiny caption that says, Continued on the next page following. So page 10 is another full page panel. There's a little caption in the corner that says chapter 2. There's quite a lot going on. You can see the giant figure standing behind the spectre. The spectre raises his hands and conjures a burst of golden energy which makes the tower collapse. There's a massive bram sound effect. We can see that the crowd are now almost in silhouette and surrounded by golden glow. And the spectre's thinking, I have only an instant to shift those people into another time cycle until the danger is past. Ah, that strange feeling of weakness again, starting to get to me. And at the bottom of this page, there's another captioned arrow that says, The, the Spectre. Spectre. And a massive caption that says, Fugitive, Fugitive from, from justice. justice. So then, Pete, when you register this on iTunes and list it on mm -hmm. Spotify and on YouTube and all that, are you going to call it Fugitive from Justice, like it says here, like it says on the cover? Or are you going to say, The Spectre means death, like it did in page three? What are you thinking? Toss a coin. <laughs> Listeners, by the time you listen to this episode, you will know what Peter decided. It's exciting, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes. I think Fugitive from Justice, actually, given that it's on the cover. and I'll see what it's listed as in most places. So, over to page 11 now. And the Spectre's thought bubble does a lot of the heavy lifting for us. He's thinking, Bright Eyes is getting away again. And we see in the foreground of the panel some giant feet. As Bright Eyes, the giant figure, is walking away, he's legging it. The Spectre continues to think, I'll take after him as soon as I return these people to their normal time cycle. We can see him casting a glow over the silhouetted figures, but then he continues to think, Ah, oh, something went wrong. And the next panel, we see him getting vaguely paler and more translucent, like he, he looked earlier on. And down in the street, we can see some normal folks standing, but then there's, there's now some white, sort of glowing silhouettes. And the spectre's thinking, Three of the people are missing. In my weakened condition, I must have dispatched them too far into the past. Got to seek them out. 
And then there's a very trippy, swirly panel which shows the spectre, arm stretched out because he's flying, and the caption then for this panel says, Into the swirling mists of time, the spectral sleuth hurls himself along multi-chronal trails that ebb and flow with the vicissitudes of time. Back to colonial America, to the era when friction between Indian and settler was at its keenest. Yes, we see the spectre appearing, just as a couple of Native Americans on horseback, riding towards a man in a suit who... We don't see his face, but there's an indication he's very surprised. The spectre behind him, thinking, There's one of them, about to be ridden down by those braves. Wish I could concentrate harder. First panel of page 12 now. We see the spectre pointing with his left hand. There's a little flash of red energy, and the man in the suit has vanished. The Native Americans look very surprised, and the spectre thinks, Bullseye, this story of the vanishing white man should make strange telling around your council fire tonight, braves. Now, into the chronal mists again. Caption in for the next panel. With waning strength, the ghostly guardian tracks down the two remaining persons displaced in time. Yes, another great trippy panel of the spectre stretching and flying through a sort of oscillating blue and white vortex. As he flies along, he's thinking, How could I have sent them back this far? Have I that little control over my powers? Or am I losing them completely? Caption for the next panel. Finally, back to the very dawn of history. Wow, this is a cracker. We see it. A gentleman and a lady wearing contemporary modern clothes standing on on a patch of grass looking up at a couple of pterodactyls that are flying past. We can see another long-necked dinosaur, a brontosaur-type guy in the background. And we see the spectre lighting behind the two people and he's thinking, Ah, there they are, safe and sound. I should be able to hold out long enough to get them back. Then I must rest up in Jim's body. The next panel, these two panels are split along the diagonal. Uh, The woman and the man have turned round and seen the spectre. The woman screams, Aye! And the man gasps and says, No! No! Reacting to the spectre, obviously, and the spectre thinks, That fearful look again! I'll shift them back to their own time, then concern myself about it. Caption for the next panel. As he spirits away with his charges. Yep, he's gesturing. A little burst of yellow energy strikes the couple, and the spectre's thinking, I just realised. They weren't looking at me, but over my head. I wonder why. And now, listeners, this is when I hope that you have a copy of this comic in front of you. Because, oh, mammy, daddy, page 13 and 14 is a double-page spread. One massive panel. There's a lot going on. We can see in the foreground, the spectre, surrounded by the burst of golden energy, and he's brought the couple back. They're standing in front of him, but looming over them, it's an amazing, huge, massive... Oh, my goodness, it's a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex-type figure. Wrong number of claws, I think, in his hand. And he's roaring, roar! This page is going on the socials. This is phenomenal. This is the best thing I've seen since we started doing the podcast. So the couple that the Spectre have just rescued, they're obviously appalled at this. The man looks up and squeals, Eee, a monster! And the woman yells, A dragon! The Spectre looks up at this massive beast and he's thinking, Great Cosmos, I brought a Tyrannosaurus back with me. And, ah, there's that weakness again. He's obviously struggling. I wonder what it is that could be affecting his power. Hmm. I feel like a human who hasn't slept for a week. But I've got to stop that prehistoric menace somehow. Try to distract him. In the foreground of the panel, there's a mother and child. And a little boy, who looks like a very youthful Barry Allen, it must be said. He's pointing up at the dinosaur and he's yelling, A Tyrannosaurus Rex! Look! Look, Mommy! And his mum replies, Jimmy, get away! Run! And this is great because we can see actually that the dinosaur's sort of rear left leg is crushing a car. Oh my goodness, I hope there was no one inside. Right, so, over the page then to page 15. How exciting. And the caption for the first panel says, Flashing across the Mesozoic monster's field of vision, the disembodied daredevil taunts him. The disembodied daredevil. We've not had that before, have we? No, true. True. (laughs) Amazing. So the spectre flies past the head of the dinosaur, thinking, Here, big boy, over this way. Take a bite out of old Uncle Speck. (laughs) Wow. Groovy. The caption for the next panel. With a blur of motion, the prehistoric colossus lashes out. Yeah, and it manages to strike and hit the spectre. The spectre goes reeling backwards, thinking, Oh, that hurt. My reflex is too slow to deal with this. I'll have to risk using my ebbing powers. So in panel three, we see the spectre gesturing, and the dinosaur starts to shrink down, growing translucent almost and sort of fading down. The spectre's thinking, Ah, once again that drain of my powers. This side-shrinking manoeuvre. Exhausting. And then a voice from off-camera yells, Fool! Do you think that's the real danger? The spectre whirls in the next panel. You can see he's holding the the dinosaur in his hands. And we can see that the bright-eyed giant has returned. 
We can see there's a crowd in front of Bright Eyes, pointing, looking very alarmed. Spectre continues to think, The people! There's fear on their faces too! Fear of me! i better get out of here before they panic! And it might be too late because a gentleman in the crowd is yelling, It's death! Come to get us! So now, listeners, we're at the top of page 16. Things start to get interesting. What we see over this sequence of three panels is a figure looking into the green crystal ball that we saw earlier on. But is it the same guy? He's not wearing the mask. He's got wide staring eyes. And there's a hint of a red and black costume that he might be wearing. Hmm. The caption in at the top of page 16 says, Unknown to the spectre, his frenzied efforts are being observed with unbounded glee. Yeah, so this figure is looking into the crystal ball, and he can see the spectre on it. And as he's looking into the crystal ball, he's saying, That's it, my unsuspecting pawn. Keep using your powers until I can strip them all away. Soon, very soon, I'll be as powerful as before, thanks to your unwitting assistance. And in the crystal ball, we can see the spectre is thinking to himself, This puzzle is beginning to fit together. If only my strength holds out to take this dinosaur back. I'll get in touch with my alter ego. Blast! Power drain again! The caption then for the next panel, page 16, says, Following the spectre's departure, the police managed to calm the terrified throng and send them safely on their way. And by the time Jim Corrigan has arrived from police headquarters... So, there's quite a lot going on in this panel. You can see Jim Corrigan reaching into his police car, speaking to police radio. There's a police officer who is marshalling along... All the folk were sort of around while all the, the dinosaur nonsense was going on. The policeman is waving them along with his baton, and he's saying, Keep it moving, folks. The danger's over. And a woman in the crowd says, I'd never been so frightened. It was horrible. The man she's with says, Easy, honey. Like the officer said, the danger's past. Yeah. So, Jim Corrigan, on his police radio, is saying, Okay, chief, if you say so, it has to be done. And then it's a little speech bubble, obviously a whisper. Psst, Jim. Corrigan whirls around in the final panel of this page, and you can see the spectre, huddled up, sat on the ground in the corner of an alleyway. Jim says, Spectre, you look like something the cat dragged in. The huddled spectre replies, Shh, Jim, quiet. I don't want anyone to see me and trigger off another panic. Listen, I need a rest. Just a short one. I'm going to enter your body. Top page 17. Corrigan is a bit hesitant with this. He has both hands up as if he's telling the spectre to back off. And he says, "Uh Uh-uh, nothing doing. You see the spectre struggling to stand and he replies, This is no time for comedy, Jim. I'm completely worn out. I need revitalization." The angle shifts in the next panel, so we're looking up at the spectre as Jim continues, Okay, Spec, on one condition. Your promise that you won't leave my body again. Ever. You're not talking sense, Jim. What's going on? I have orders to bring you in, Spec. To what? You've become a public menace. Wherever you show up, panic breaks out. Luckily, no one's been seriously hurt yet, but your presence represents a danger to public safety. So, do you stay put in my body or in prison? The spectre starts to move towards Jim in the next panel, saying, I can't waste time arguing with you. I'm going to take my rest whether you like it or not. And there's a weird sort of zoing sound effect. The spectre continues, Huh? Can't penetrate. And Jim says, You're weak, spec, and I have enough willpower to keep you out till you surrender to me. Or the law. Spectre flies away in the next panel. And he's parting short to Jim is. It will be time wasting trying to convince you that someone else is causing the fear. So, if you want me, follow me. And he flies off with Jim looking after him. Top of page 18 now, thankfully. Page 18 is only a half page. There's a caption that says. Soon, by following the path of commotion left by the eerie-eyed behemoth. The spectre has managed to catch up to bright eyes. He's landing on the ground behind him. And he cries. You, hold it. We're going to have this out, right now. Bright Eyes whirls around, and the spectre thinks, while my winning abilities still give me a faint chance of defeating you. And chapter two is then rounded out with a caption box that says, A mere shadow of his spectral self, the ghostly guardian begins what might well be his last battle. On third page following. Mm. Rest of this page is taken up with an advertisement for Palisades Amusement Park, New Jersey. I wonder if it's still there. And the opposite page is a DC Direct Currents page, advertising, amongst other things, Superboy 149, Detective Comics 377, and, ooh, there's a cover of Teen Titans issue 16. You might want to look that one up, kids. You never know. Mm-hmm. We arrive at the top of page 19, and the caption for the first panel says, Like a maddened hornet, the spectre flies into the face of his ramshackle adversary. The scash sound effect. The spectre strikes at bright eyes. The spectre's thinking, Neither matter nor antimatter has any effect on him. 
So let's see if a pure energy blast can rock him. But then with a whap, Bright Eyes strikes back at the spectre, the next panel, the caption for which says, Like a thing beneath his notice, the monster swats spectre with the back of his hand. Yeah, dead casual-like. The spectre falls backwards thinking, He doesn't even need to close his fist to knock me for a loop. Got to throw him off balance somehow. Caption for the next panel. In a narrow, swooping dive, the grim ghost catapults himself between the legs of his foe, and... And this causes bright eyes to sort of overbalance slightly. As the spectre is flying forward, he's thinking, Got to use this breather to find out what he's composed of, by reducing myself to the size of the cells in his body. And in the next panel, we see the spectre doing just so, flying down from the left-hand side, shrinking down, trying to penetrate inside bright eyes. And as he does this, he thinks, Knowing what he's made of may give me a clue how to defeat him. And we see now that Bright Eyes is standing outside a building. There's a sort of glass doorway, and we can see inside this building, there's a red-cloaked figure standing with his back to us, and there appears to be a circle or a globe or a sphere of some kind in front of him, and there appears to be a burst of energy going between this figure's head and the sphere in front of him. And we are blessed with a thought bubble from this character, who is thinking, That's it, Spectre! Expend more energy, just a little bit more, and I'll be free. We arrive at the top of page 20. Down to size small enough to see the very construction of the monster's body. Wow. <laughs> it must be a rule that every Spectre issue has a slightly trippy moment when he has a more out-there yeah. background. Mm-hmm. We can see the Spectre flying around here, and there's lots of little green and black spheres and little bursts of flame and stuff all popping around them. At least that's what it looks like. Spectre's now thinking... I see now. A mysterious source of energy is simultaneously producing particles of matter and antimatter within him, causing explosions. No wonder he can't be hurt in any way. He's continually destroying and recreating himself. The next panel shows the spectre's hands growing up to enormous size. That's one thing we're not bored of, is it? Is that? The spectre distorting parts of his body. <laughs> no, it's always fun. He's grown his hands to giant size, we see in this panel, because he's dividing the little green spheres that are popping and the black spheres that are popping, splitting them apart. And as he does this, he's thinking, By separating the matter particles from the antimatter ones as they're being created, I build up a stockpile of each, and then bring both piles together, like this, and there's a massive... Baroom! And there's a huge linear burst of energy. And then we're back in the real world for the next panel, and a caption that says, Turning up the road, Jim Corrigan comes upon the scene just as his alter ego completes his mission. Yeah, we see Jim has parked his car. And he's rushing forwards. We can see that Bright Eyes is down on the ground, looking a bit more regular human-sized. And the Spectre's unconscious on the ground beside him. As Jim rushes forward, he's thinking, Looks like Spec is really beat this time. He's laid out like a rag doll. But he did what he said he'd do. I wonder why Bright Eyes chose this place to make his stand. And then from inside the building, we have a speech bubble, giving us some... <laughs> and then in the final panel of page 20, our villain stands revealed. Jim Corrigan exclaims, it's the Psycho Pirate! And sure enough, we see the Psycho Pirate wearing his familiar red and black costume with the theatrical masks on the chest, the alternate red and black panels with his cape. And helpfully, Jim thinks that evil master of emotion whom Dr. Fate and our man were supposed to have put out of commission some time ago. And there's a little asterisk and a caption box that says Showcase 56, Perils of the Psycho Pirates. Or indeed, the previous episode of our podcast. Yep, way back in our 31st episode, Oh, amazing. It's the Psycho Pirate. The Psycho Pirate points at Jim Corrigan and says, Ah, Detective Corrigan, I see you know of me. Then perhaps you also know of the magic mask which Dr. Fate put on me to deny me my powers. Top page 21, we can see the spectre starting to rise, and the Psycho Pirate stands over him, gloating and saying, Thanks to the help of the spectre, that cursed mask, my symbol of defeat, is gone forever. Speck says, It was you. You who are draining me of my powers, using my mystic forces to dissolve your prison mask. But how? And in the next panel, Psycho Pirate is holding the green globe, which he absolves the him who went and got at the start. And he's saying, With this globe, my helpless friend, it has the ability to focus in on mystic powers and draw them to whomever activates it. But now, I no longer need its mystic magnetism, for my power has been fully restored. The most fantastic power of all. Complete control of human emotions. Jim Corrigan's having none of it. He rushes forward with the next panel saying, A lot of good your power will do you in solitary. The psycho pirate changes the expression to a sort of panicked, scared-looking one, and he says, Rash idiot, you haven't an inkling of my strength. Try a dose of fear. 
Caption for the next panel. Like a storm, fear rages through Corrigan, as well as the weakened spectre. Yeah, Jim looks very panicked. He cries, No! No! Stay away! Please! I'll, I'll do anything! Just, just stay away! The spectre, still down the ground, recoils, saying, Don't come near me! No! The psycho pirate looks like he's laughing and he says, Ha! I can mould your emotions like putty, even the mighty spectre whose powers came to me all too reluctantly. Caption for the next panel. With the most powerful force in the universe groveling at his feet, the psycho pirate can hardly resist gloating over his triumph. Now we see in this panel that the psycho pirate clutching the globe is standing over the unconscious body of bright eyes. And the psycho pirate says, At first I thought the globe would be of no use to me. Its first power strike led me to a pulsating bullet from a gun this drifter had found somewhere. Interesting. Corrigan reacts to this, thinking, Pulsating bullet? It must be the one I almost shot into as modus months ago. There's a little asterisk here, and a caption box reminds us of... Showcase 60, The War That Shook the Universe. Or indeed the previous episode of our podcast. Yeah, episode 39 if you're checking. That's fantastic. And a little callback. Corrigan continues to think, I lost the gun in the scuffle. And that drifter must have come across it. Wow. Continuity of Gogo. Did Roy Thomas write this? Top of page 22 then. Psychopirate continues. But as I was about to make use of the bullet, it was absorbed by his body and turned him into the mindless but controllable brute you've been trying to destroy. Through him, I was able to use a small part of my emotion-controlling ability, causing people to fear you. Bright Eyes is stumbling to his feet at this point, rubbing his head, and he says, uh, We get a closer shot of him in the next panel, and the Psycho Pirate says, Ah, my faithful minion, you've served me well, and shall continue to do so. Pick up that gun and keep those two pitiful specimens covered while I put the globe in a safe place. Bright Eyes. He doesn't look so bright now, it must be said. No. Just looks like a haggard, rough old guy, he replies. Sure, whatever you say, you're the boss. Into panel 3 of page 22 now, Psycho Pirate in the background of the panel, clutching his globe, suddenly says, On second thought, make your work easy. Get rid of the lawman. It should be a feather in any crook's hat to bump off Detective Captain Jim Corrigan. Corrigan raises his hand as if to protect himself, but the old guy, he reacts. He looks very surprised and he exclaims, Jim Corrigan? It can't be. I killed him. Twenty years ago. Final panel of page 22. Right up close with Jim Corrigan as he reacts and thinks, The Drifter, Gap Benson, the man who killed me and made it possible for the Spectre to exist. Gap Benson goes nuts. He hurls himself at the Psycho Pirate saying, No, no, you can't make me kill him over again. And then with a crash, the Psycho Pirate drops the globe and he says, You blundering fool, you fool. Caption that closes out this panel saying, Instantly, uncontrollable rage burns its way across the features of the Emir of Emotions. Then the caption of the first panel on page 23 says, Simultaneously, rage etches onto the face of Jim Corrigan as he furiously hurls himself at the Emotion Master. <laughs> That's a great panel. <laughs> the psycho pirate pulls a funny face as Jim Corrigan gives him a massive left hook. And then there's a crack! In the next panel, the caption says, With hair-trigger reflexes, he smashes into his surprised foes. Yep, as Gap Benson flies back and knocks into the Psycho Pirate, taking them both down. The caption for the next panel then says, And not until an unconscious calm registers on the Psycho Pirate's face does Jim Corrigan's rage subside. Wow, did he just keep punching them then? That's mental. Yes, because of Psycho Pirate's <laughs> angry face. Yeah, he just gets laid into him for ages. Jim looks very smug in this panel, doesn't he? Hmm. see the Psycho Pirate's unconscious face in the ground behind him. As Jim Corrigan turns and thinks, Got to get Spectre to look at Psycho's placid puss. Well, there's no telling how long he'll lay there quaking in fear. Next panel. Jim's helping the Spectre to his feet. Spectre's still panicking from the attack of the Psycho Pirate. And he's saying, No, Jim, no! Please don't make me go near him! I'm afraid! I'm afraid! Jim replies, Come on, Friday cat. It's for your own good. And the next panel... Of an insert, he holds the spectre's face down towards the unconscious psycho pirate. The spectre visibly relaxes in the final panel, saying, Thanks, Jim. Now, how about that rest I need? The, the end. end. Well, the psycho pirate that was phenomenal. I did not see that coming at all. Did you? No, I absolutely forgot that the Psycho Pirate had another Silver Age appearance, apart from his uh, initial debut <laughs> at first. And yeah, great fun. 
Love the Psycho Pirates. Yeah, me too. It doesn't reappear again, unfortunately, until the Bronze Age, but uh, don't worry, we'll be covering all his appearances. Yeah, it pops up again in All-Star Comics, I'm sure, but that was phenomenal. I love the fact that Corrigan knew about Doctor Fate and Our Man. Yes. That was great. Mm-hmm. So obviously it ties into what we were saying before about the issue when he talked about the Spectre being off the Justice Society and obviously with Wildcat yeah. and the Spectre sort of teaming up in issue three. I mean, this really establishes that if, if there was any doubt that this is on Earth 2, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, this is de- definitely what's going on. There's a bit of edge blurring when the Spectre teamed up with the Flash and when he teamed up with Batman, but this is great. I said at the top when we, when we started recording, like there was this was an element which I had completely forgotten about. So in my preparation, I was ecstatic. I thought it was phenomenal. Recurring villain with footnotes. It doesn't feel too DC at this point. It's quite a Marvel approach, isn't it? Very much so, yes. Uh-huh. Speaking of Marvel, did you not think that the Psycho Pirate climbing that mountain at the beginning was very much like Doctor Strange's origin? Absolutely. Or indeed Batman's from Batman Begins. Could Batman Begins have been referencing issue five of the Spectre? Uh-huh. <laughs> Probably not. Write in and let us know. Yes. Did you work on Batman Begins? Please let us know. Again, Neil Adams' artwork is phenomenal. Of course, yes. The double-page dinosaur spread. It's ridiculous. The kinetic yeah. sort of movement to it. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of work to get through because, as I've said, my, you know, my voice isn't at its best today. That was a cracker. It did not outstay its welcome. Yeah. As I often say, it rattled along at a good pace. Yeah, not bad at all. I don't really have too much more to add to that. I mean, I let the other throwback, obviously, to showcase issue 60 as well. Indeed, yeah, huh? Which is great, because I remember us being a bit vague about that magic bullet yeah. back at the time, and so going, what's going on here? So obviously Neil <laughs> Adams must have read the comic and thought the same, so he's tied it up. No, that was good. Yeah, it's cool. Very different to the sort of storytelling we've had before. There hasn't really been too many of these sort of footnotes and callbacks, so that was good. Can you remember if Gap Benson had any sort of final fates in the original Spectre stories? It's been a while since I've read the, the archives. I don't remember. I can't remember exactly how it played out, whether he was jailed or whether he got away. I know that he pops up in the, the Ostrander Mandrake sort of series. I'm sure he gets referenced. Right. He definitely gets referenced there. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- one thing when we've been doing a podcast is I very much had to train myself to stop thinking of the Spectre and Jim as the same thing because obviously in the Silver Age they're being portrayed very much as separate entities whereas at the time we get to the often referenced Ostrander Mandrake series, they're one guy, essentially, that Jim Corrigan is the Spectre. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there's a whole thing when they find Jim Corrigan's body in the, the oil drum that he was dumped in. Right. And I'm sure Gat Benson gets name-checked at that point. I just quickly looked it up. Gat Benson was sent to jail. He was turned into the, the authorities at the end of that, his first story, and indeed right. the Spectre's first story. I see. Cool. Which was a two-parter. Which we, we will actually talk about when we get to the, the 1970s run of Secret Origins. We'll talk about it briefly there, I suppose. Mm, yes, look forward to that, folks. So we while off yet, not to worry. Mm-hmm. This is our second Neil Adams scripted and penciled issue. And do you not feel that both Spectre 4 and Spectre 5 seem to end kind of abruptly with a bit of a jolt, almost? Yeah. Because the last one you had to rescue the boy, and then the boy looks up at his face, and he's, he's like smiling, this beaming face, looking at this creepy ghost guy. Yeah. And then this one, you've got the Spectre's face over Psycho Pirate, looking panicked, and then, uh, ah, and then just the end for both. Yeah. It's almost like it, it gets out yeah, too quickly. Because even the way it's done, because mm-hmm. it's like three panels in one, almost, with two inset yeah. panels at the end. And the larger one has, larger part of it is Jim pulling the spectre over towards the Psycho Pirate's body. And then it's like two inserts, almost, mm-hmm. where he's just holding the... And again, there's no panel that explains it. It's done in the storytelling. Yeah. It's very clear what's happening. That uh-huh. Speck looks quite still panicked in the second last panel. And then the final panel, he looks mm-hmm. visibly relaxed. And Jim looks relieved that his, his pile is okay. It's very abrupt. I mean... I'm surprised there wasn't maybe another half page of them just having another conversation just to kind of yeah. to wind it up. But that's, as you said, that's basically the change of storytelling that Neil yeah. Adams is bringing to it. Yeah. And it is definitely ushering in, as we've said it before, this is ushering in the Bronze Age. Yeah. It's changing how comics are made and how comics yeah. are told, how stories are told in comic form. I think issue four didn't feel as abrupt because the panels of Hamilton Benedict or whatever his name was looking up at the Spectre were much larger. You know, yeah, they, yeah. they were given a bit more emphasis. Uh-huh. Here it's almost breathless. Uh-huh. Last couple of days are very exciting, but it's all over and done very quickly that, you know, Gat Benson clumsily bumps into the psycho pirate who drops the globe. And, yeah. and it's only that Jim then continues to punch the psycho pirate unconscious <laughs> so he can't use his own powers. Yeah. It is quite abrupt. Maybe that's just an indicator of. Neil Adams at this point in his career has not really figured out how to land an ending or yeah. how to quite balance the, the storytelling, I suppose. Mm-hmm. We don't be too harsh on because, I mean, they could have lost that dinosaur double page thing quite easily. True. As good as it looks, it did Neil just want to draw a dinosaur? It really adds nothing to the story. He could have rescued that other couple and brought them back mm-hmm. and confronted Bright Eyes straight away again or something. And then yeah. there might have been another page for them to 
so the ending wasn't as rushed. So yeah. maybe it's a bit of lax editorial work, maybe it's an undisciplined storyteller, or maybe a combination of both, but it is a little uneven. Mm-hmm. Also has flashbacks to the Captain Skull story with his travels through time. Yeah. Going to other time zones to get people and uh, bring them back. I thought it was quite... Yeah. Bit of a flashback to Captain Skull. And yeah. One. And also, the Spectre using his time-stopping powers, which was something he'd, yeah. else he'd, he'd done recently. Uh-huh. When he used it before, it kind of came out of nowhere and surprised us a bit. But this yeah. time, I think it was quite good because it was actually, ah, we've seen him use these powers. This is quite good. Mm-hmm. And even though he seemed to be very weak, he seemed to be able to do an awful lot whilst very weak. Yeah, man. <laughs> Whatever the plot demanded, really. He must have been getting weaker and weaker, I think, each time as he was doing it. I really kind of did get the sense that the Spectre was struggling through it. Yeah. And again, it's emphasising the fact that it needs to be in Jim's body to recharge. Of course, yeah. Which, as I said, was something that was really forthcoming in the, the Doug Munch series much later on yeah. in the 80s. And again, that wasn't really something that was addressed at all by the time of the Ostrander Mandrake. So, yeah. You know, uh-huh. I need to read the late 80s one. I think I'm sure I've said that already in other episodes. I really need I to give that a spin. Very good. I liked how the Psycho Pirate was introduced and then revealed. You know, it was quite good that they didn't yeah. tell us it was him straight away. That was quite good. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I can't mm-hmm. emphasise it enough. I thought that revelation was tremendous. And it was good that it was Corrigan and not the Spectre that recognised him. Yeah. That was a little bit of a twist. And of course, Corrigan was recognised because he's well-known and amongst the, the criminal community. Look, it's Detective Police Captain Jim Corrigan. Kill him. So. <laughs> <laughs> I... I mean, as much as I'm loving the artwork, there's a hint of the disposable to the two issues that Neil has written and drawn compared even just to the one issue that Mike Frederick did that had real weight. Yeah. Randomly giving us a dinosaur for a double-page spread. Uh Looks great, but it's like, what? Yeah. It's very, give the kids what they want. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) I think I probably felt Issue four was probably a more satisfying story, but the dinosaur mm-hmm. and the psycho pirate, the Gap Benson popping up, that's great. That's indeed proper fanboy continuity stuff. That's yeah. tremendous. Because we haven't really had a lot of that stuff yet. True. When I first read this, uh, I was surprised to discover it was Gap Benson because I was absolutely convinced it was some cosmically charged retail sales assistant because he's first right. kicking off in a shop. Of course. Yeah. And then his second rampage is at a shopping centre. Yes. So yes. it did seem to be uh-huh. quite coincidental. It's like, oh, must destroy retail. Yeah, is this a man who's, who works in a shop <laughs> who's had just one ignorant customer too many and it's made him crack? Well, we've all been there. Yeah, we so, have. <laughs> That's a fair point. I mean, even just the way he was introduced was mm-hmm. out of nowhere. He's standing astride an escalator and yelling at people. Yeah. It's unusual. You can tell, I think, that Mr. Adams, you know, hasn't been doing this maybe too long or hasn't quite refined or maybe the editorial guys are just mm-hmm. giving him a bit of a free rein to let him do what he likes. But yeah. No, it was good. It was good. And how hard is it to lose track of this giant, semi-naked man with giant glowing eyes? And he got five miles away in that yeah. short period of time. Well, he's got those big, long <laughs> legs. He can take big, long <laughs> strides and steps, can't he? I suppose. I think it'd be noticed that people might call it in. Yeah, I think I think it's mainly because the obviously spec was just completely pooped. Yeah, I suppose. Suppose. Yeah. Should we jump onto the letters then? Let's do so. Let's jump into issue seven and Spectre Graphs. Mm, I'm looking forward to issue seven, listeners, but I won't tell you why just yet. Anyway, and the first letter says, "Dear editor." Needless to say, Neil Adams has an amazing talent for setting the mood of the story by use of a cover illustration. The cover of Spectre number 5 clearly depicted the emotions of both the people and the Spectre. The people running from the figure of the gigantic ghostly guardian depicts not mere fright but sheer terror. The face of the Spectre clearly shows contempt and hatred for the people he holds in his hand. Inside, the prologue posed questions. Questions that were answered throughout the story. Interesting way to set a mood. Adams has a terrific talent for it. We come to page three and a giant in a department store. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say here, don't you? Giant in a department store sounds like a men's wear beside. <laughs> here the spectre encounters a problem. The people fear him. There is no previous evidence of his appearance frightening law-abiding citizens. Obviously some other force is at work, for it happens again and again. But now we stop to think a bit. Most of this trouble seems to be centred around emotions. Now, who do we know that used emotions as a weapon? We go back and check our prologue and we think harder and we look at the man with no face and we study him and think back to the page in Showcase 56 where Dr. Fate puts a mask over the face of the Psycho Pirates to prevent him from using his emotions. It looks exactly like the mask's no face is wearing at the beginning of the story. Think just a little harder and we come to the conclusion that this felon is indeed the psycho pirate come to steal the object that will give him the power to remove the magical mask hiding his emotion controlling power. 
Nothing more could be said save for the fact that Neil Adams no doubt did a bit of research before writing the story. Plot and subplots were interwoven beautifully. Adams doesn't fool around when it comes to action. He starts the story with it and it continues as the story flows along. Art-wise, the entire story was up to Neil's standards, which is extremely good. The story slightly reminded me of some printed in the Golden Age. Bravo. Let's have more like it. And that massive letter is from <laughs> Gene Reed from Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville, Alabama. We didn't really talk too much about the cover because I don't think the cover really bore too much resemblance to what was going on. Yeah, because he wasn't really picking people up and angry at them. Yeah, and he wasn't really a fugitive from justice. He was a fugitive to the extent that Jim had to bring him in, but there wasn't really a scene when the spectre was revelling in the fact that he was scaring people. He was always quite wary about it. Mm. Yeah, I just wish we'd got the line, put an APB out on the spectre. (laughs) That'd be great. Yeah, I love the idea of the spectre just being in a prison cell. I'm locking the door on him. <laughs> locking the door on the wrath of God, you know? <laughs> Rattling his tin cup against the bars. <laughs> <laughs> the response to this letter then says, Too bad the controversy about the spectre, a la Neil Adams, has to terminate with the comments in issue five, the last one Neil did. But while waiting the reaction to the current Grandetti Anderson treatment, let the storm rage on. So yes, as we've seen on the, the letters pages previously, people haven't been too fond mm-hmm. a lot of the time of what Neil Adams has been doing. We were very surprised at the amount of negativity. The next letter is from a very famous person, a very famous name. Dear Editor, more than two years have passed since the debut of a certain green garbed gladiator, remember? Here was one of the greats, a hero who was able to strike sheer terror in the souls of evildoers, a hero who was able to summon the powers of the universe at a whim. But most of all, a hero who was sophisticated in what he did, the sign of wisdom. Yes, he was the spectre, but why the reference to the spectre in the past tense? Story. Neil Adams is an artist, period. He's not a writer. Mm-hmm. Last issue, his writing was permissible because of a probable emergency, or so I thought. Yet he again scripts for this issue. Why? If Fox can't write the spectre stories anymore, get Friedrich. And if not Friedrich, get someone else. Mm-hmm. The idea of the spectre causing fear when even the public sees him is, or was, a great idea. But does it make sense? Why should just criminals be afraid of the spectre's image? After all, they're no different from any of us good guys, except they lose a little of their self-control every once in a while. To top it all off, the spectre was actually afraid. Mm-hmm. I don't mind realism. In fact, it makes for the best kind of reading. But the spectre's good personified. And you can't have something like good be afraid and fall to the ground in fright. It doesn't matter, even if the psycho pirate did cause the fright, it's no go. Just think what an eight or nine-year-old thinks if he reads this ish. He's too young to be analytical and realise that the fright was caused by an outside force. All he sees is a hero, any hero, since they all represent good, cringing in fear. His final paragraph, he talks about the art. I had planned to take back everything I had said about Adam's art when I saw his work in World's Finest 176, but alas, the same work did not appear here. Gosh. I know. Adams is spreading himself much too thin. The imagination is there, but it needs time to develop. With all the work Neil is doing, he can't possibly leave time to develop an idea. And that's from Klaus Janssen, or Janssen, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Klaus Janssen, I know him mainly, I think, as an inker. Yes, uh of course, he worked in Dark Knight Returns, amongst other things. Of course, that's huge. To have the cheek to slag off Neil Adams. (laughs) I bet he's embarrassed when he, when he, (laughs) he probably looks back on that. I'm really sort of surprised at the negativity. I mean, Klaus is another mm-hmm. artist. Do you think he's just jealous? Do you think that's what it was? Were people just jealous of the chance Neil was getting to do? Or I'm not sure how old he is at this stage and how much of an artist he is at this stage. Mm. He's obviously got his own mm-hmm. talent that he's honing and he's analysing artwork and he's analysing stories, he's analysing comics and he's seeing what works and what doesn't work. I find that fascinating. Yes. So yeah, he's obviously doing that. I disagree with him quite a bit on the what an eight or nine year old thinks reading this issue, seeing the hero being afraid, but it's it's about overcoming the fear. Yes. I would entirely disagree with that because, you know, yeah. if it's just being afraid and then there's no consequence to that and he's left being afraid, then yeah, sure, I can understand yeah. that. But having something as horrible as that, as the spectre cowering and, you know, being absolutely terrified. Uh-huh. And then through teamwork, actually, overcoming yeah. it with Jim. With Jim's help, yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes if you're afraid, your friend or your other self, as it were, in this case, yeah. can help you overcome that. I think that's a really good positive message, especially for kids. Yeah, so, I, th- I think as well, eight and nine-year-old kids, they're not that dumb. Yeah. They'd be sharp enough. I mean, in those days, they'd definitely be reading books as well as comics, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, you and I were at that age. Yeah. He does make some interesting points, I think, but I'm, I'm always just constantly surprised at the negativity towards him. Mm-hmm. So the editorial response to that letter, it only actually 
talks about the current issues, so we'll move on to the next letter. It says, Dear Editor, there were several drawbacks to the Spectre Means Death. Most noticeable of these was the treatment of the Spectre as human. After all, it has been established for quite a while that Spectre is more than mortal. Another major fault was the misuse of Spec's powers. Like on page 10, instead of transporting dozens of people back through time, why didn't the Astral Avenger simply reverse the flight of the toppling building? Or, better yet, shift the building to another time cycle? Please give the Spectre back to Gardner Fox or Mike Friedrich. Sure, Neil Adams may improve, but who wants to wait a year or two until Adams is capable of turning out a classic like the showcase issues of Friedrich's debut story? As far as the Art Inspector 5 is concerned, it's hit a new low. I may be a bit prejudiced against Neil Adams, you're kidding. <laughs> but he just isn't the right artist for Spectre. Please bring back Murphy Anderson, and that's from Dennis Casey from Glen Rock, New Jersey. It's an interesting thing at the point of the other, the other things the Spectre did. I mean, we didn't really talk about it, but the Spectre's comparing himself to Cary Grant. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, that was weird. But, you know, they're obviously, I think, maybe trying to make the Spectre less of an omnipotent sort of figure. Yeah. They really do have the knives out for Mr. Adams at this point, don't they? I'm wondering if some of these letters are being chosen specifically because of that, and perhaps they were giving Neil a chance to do more, but also showing him that it doesn't always work. I don't know, maybe they thought Neil had ideas above his station. Who knows? I don't know. Well, he's he's turning out excellent stuff in Dead Man at this point, let's not forget. Yes, uh-huh. He's already doing Brave and Bold. Now, of course, I misspoke earlier. At one point in the earlier episode, listeners, when I said we wouldn't be doing any of Neil Adams' Brave and the Bolds, but we'll be doing one of them. Yep. Keep your ears peeled. He's still a way off from the famous Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff, but some of the Dead Man stories, the first few are written by Jack Miller's involved, obviously. Arnold Drake, I think, wrote the first one that Carmine drew. Oh, of course, yes. Mm-hmm. There are several Neil Adams scripted and drawn issues of Strange Adventures of Dead Man as well. Indeed, yes. You know, they're, they're only a few months away at this point. They published during the summer uh-huh. of 1968. And then, obviously, <laughs> there are a few that are written by people like Bob Haney and Bob Kaniger. But Neil Adams is working on it right up until the end. He even is involved in some of the, the Aquaman stories that Dead Man's involved in. So somebody at DC thought he was doing a good enough job to let him keep going on that. Yep, true. Very true. But, you know, Dead Man didn't run forever, I suppose. So if this was the Dead Man podcast, we'd probably be having to look at the... Co- it might be worthwhile, actually, just digging out some of the correspondence to see if we can find any from, from those stories and just see what people were saying about them in the pages of Strange Adventures. That might be worth doing. Mm-hmm. We'll feed that back to you, listeners, if we do that. Neil Adams has long been one of my absolute favourite comic artists, and I'm really surprised mm. that there's this constant negativity because these stories stand up really well. Yeah. They are head and shoulders with no disrespect to anyone else that's been drawn some of the comics that are published concurrently. I mean, yeah. compared to that issue of Challengers of the Unknown that we did a few months ago as the crow flies, the oh. artwork is in that is night and day compared to, yes, to what we're getting here. Can it's, you imagine Neil Adams through Dimension Man? <gasps> exactly. And Iron Dictator? Sweet. That'd be amazing. Yeah, Exactly. I think more or less it's jealousy, or maybe just what Neil was doing was just too much for the audience at this point to deal sure. with. I mean, this is only a few years after Mike Sikowski still drawing the JSA and JLA as practical stick figures. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, in, in the first JLA JSA team up. I mean, it's as much of a difference, I suppose, as the Beatles' first album and then say something like Sgt. Pepper or the White Album. There's a massive, sure. massive yeah. uh-huh. cultural changed. I think Neil Adams is at the absolute forefront of that. And it's a real Mm. shame that that so many of these people aren't enjoying what he's doing. So there's another page of letters in issue seven of the Spectre. We'll jump through them very quickly. The the first letter then on the second letters page, it goes like so. Dear editor, since the Spectre isn't a devil may care, careless goof off who accepts bribes from overworked comic magazine writers, just who is he? The Spectre has called Jim Corrigan his physical body and himself Jim's astral body. Yet instead of a simple projection of Jim Corrigan, the Spectre possesses a distinct and separate personality. Jim has a life of his own. He's a captain on the police force and as of Showcase 64, engaged to Mona Marcy. Now we've not seen her for a while. No, that's true. As for the Spectre, we know only a little something of his origin, his powers and his fight against evil. What does the Spectre do during those free moments in his unlife? Hang around inside Jim's body? Haunt Skyrise Apartments? For goodness sake, here you are with a being who possesses nearly unbelievable power. Even when the plots are put together correctly, it's practically impossible to become emotionally involved with a character who projects no clear sign of a personality. Even cold indifference on the part of the Spectre is to be preferred above the disinterest of your readers. 
I think that's a bit harsh because they've obviously tried to give him a bit more of a personality by having mm-hmm. him lighten up some of his dialogue. Mm-hmm. Our letter writer continues, Please believe me, if I didn't give a darn, this letter would not even have been considered. Flash, Green Lantern, Atom and even Batman have a semblance of a personality. If readers wanted a fighting machine and absurd plots, then why didn't Hawkman flourish? You managed to ignore Catter Hall in favour of a feathered fighting machine. What better proof do you need that this technique doesn't work, no matter who the character? Actually, you have made a pretty good start. I like the Spectre and wish him a long second life. And that's from James L. Godou, or Godet, Cambridge, Massachusetts. I think we've had letters from him in the past. Mm-hmm. The editorial response to this is tiny, and it just says, well, this is the Spectre issue number seven, and issue eight is in the works. After that, the editor, he's obviously speculating about how long the book might run. Yeah. It ran to ten issues, so maybe they already knew. Mm-hmm. The next letter says, Dear Editor, After reading the fine analysis of the Spectre by Clifton Torrance in issue two, Even though covering all aspects, I think something was left out which, in my opinion, is one of the more important characteristics of the Spectre. The Spectre is not the ordinary crime-fighting, crook-stopping hero. He does not go after bank robbers or car thieves. He investigates things that are happening that should not be happening, such as a tornado, where the atmospheric conditions aren't right for a tornado, but it is there. Or if a man is missing his shadow. This is what separates him from all other heroes. Except maybe Doctor Fate, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah. The plot does not always have to involve good against evil, but also good against the unexplainable. I, for one, am glad that the Spectre is handled in this way. I can't see the ghostly guardian chasing after ordinary crooks, and I'm sure that most of your fans agree with me. Wait till we get to the Adventure Comics run. <laughs> also, I am not one of the many who wishes to see the Spectre teamed up with a Justice Society member unless it involves him in a plot such as Wildcat in Spectre issue 3. Interesting. And that's from David Jablin from Flushing, New York. And the editorial response again refers to the current issue. Yes. Which you won't go into at this time. We're not going to spoil. No. There's another couple of letters. I'll do the next one. Dear editor, why oh why is it so impossible for you to make the spectre as chilling and unemotionable, is that a word, as he was in the 40s? Open brackets. I don't like to refer to that era as the golden age. I think that our era is the true golden age. If not, then what is it? The scrap iron age? (laughs) That's funny. Issue 5 is an example of the way people should think of the Spectre. Distrust, fear and awe, as depicted in that ish, was an exaggeration of what I would like to see, but the main fear was good. I don't expect you to have people yelling, bloody murder, every time the disembodied detective flies over their heads, but I do think that people should feel fear and think of him as the Spectre of death and such. People, give or take a few, have a fear of the unknown. They panic when something they do not understand crosses their paths. However, they know that the Spectre doesn't go around preying on honest folk. So the fear isn't so great as to cause sheer panic. Specs should be vengeful and chilling enough to send tingles up and down your spine. Imagination and fantasy are musts to make him fierce. And that's from Joe Wisnack, Montville, New Jersey. Nothing too critical, I suppose, but it's nope. he's liking some elements of what they're doing. Good. There's no editorial response to that, but then nope. we have the final letter. And it goes like this. Dear editor, the spectre does not go around huddled up in his cloak looking like a ready-to-peel banana. The Spectre does not fly in the same sense that Superman flies. The Spectre does not engage his foes in fistfights. The Spectre does not sit on street corners, keeping the garbage cans company. (laughs) The Spectre does not look as shocked, no matter what the situation. The Spectre is not some unknown spook. I remember the time several years ago when DC Comics were plastered with the words, The Spectre is coming! Seems like just a few months ago to us, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I bought an issue of Our Army at War recently and had a like a tiny, closing, irrelevant caption to the rest of the story that just said the spectre is coming. Excellent. They were obviously punting it. We didn't have too many examples of that in the stories that we did, but anyway. Mm-hmm. The letter writer continues. We, the younger readers, wondered who or what the spectre was. When at last he made his triumphant return from the comic magazine Limbo World, the spectre's revival was hailed by publishers and readers alike as the greatest event in 20 years. Yep. No more is the Spectre respected by the good and feared by the evil. Instead, the good people either don't know who he is or are fear-stricken by the sight of him, and his foes regard him as just another hero. The Spectre is more than often bewildered by them. No more is he the omniscient being who could delve into the astral dimensions to uncover the hidden secrets of his foes. Today, his swaggish gorilla-like combatants are foiled by ironic undoings, more often than not by either the Spectre's ignorance of the goings-on or by someone other than the Astral Avenger. Someone, in fact, who even has to rescue the hero. 
That's an interesting point, to be fair, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I suppose because, as we said, it was Corrigan that kind of snapped out of it. And yeah. I get what they're saying, I suppose. Maybe they don't like him being this vulnerable. But the trouble is, if you then have a hero like this who isn't vulnerable at all yeah. and just goes around solving everything at the wave of a hand, it becomes very boring. It does, yes. Anyway. It continues. This degradation of one of DC's most tremendous characters is due not in part, nor mainly, but wholly to Neil Adams. His artwork, though great and dead man, is perfectly abhorrible in the spectre. His writing is totally out of line with what had been set up before. What Adams has done can be summed up quite easily. He has made the spectre human. I urge you to make the spectre a respectable spirit again. And that's from <laughs> Theodore Kwok, San Francisco, California. And there's a, a response to this that says, Your surname threw us for a while, but the sincerity of your criticism proves you're more of a quok than a quack. Editor... As we've said in the past, were people just not ready for stories that had a little bit more depth and a little bit more... May well be. May well be. I think there are valid points that he's making there about the Spectre not being as powerful as maybe he should be, but the writers, Neil and Mike, are trying to do something different. Mm -hmm. I guess the audience didn't like it. It's weird how so many of the letters that, as you say, though, that are are being published are so... They want to be articulate, but... (laughs) Yes. Yeah, they're so pronouncedly negative. It's quite depressing, actually. Oh, well. On that note, if you want, to, <laughs> if you want to cheer David up, why not write him a, a lovely little email? You can email us at the F2 podcast at gmail dot com and tell us what you like about this story and why you think Neil Adams is fantastic, and that will certainly cheer him up. I'm fine, kids. Honestly, I'm honestly, I'm fine. <laughs> it's just really surprising because I've always, I've just always known Neil Adams as one of the greats. I'm really just surprised mm-hmm. to see that he just wasn't as popular at one point. It's very interesting. I cut Peter off and he spilled their listeners. He's throwing okay. me daggers down the, the messenger video call right now. <laughs> That's okay. And if you want to throw daggers, you can. <laughs> <laughs> and make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter because that's all our social media. And we post tons of bonus content on all three on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. And indeed, it is the number two for all of our social media. And make sure you check out our website. That's the Earth 2 Podcast.com where you can find links to this and all our previous shows, including the two issues of Showcase that were referenced in this very story. There you are. It's all there waiting for you. We did Showcase 55 and 56 in 2020. We're now into 2022. Ah, My goodness. That's a long time. I mean, that's that's even a long time in in what we're doing. I I hope Mm -hmm. readers in 1968 were familiar enough with those stories. There weren't too many letters saying how ecstatic they were that the Psycho Pirate was back. That's true. I don't know. Poor Neil Adams. I know. Anyway, listeners do all of the things that Peter said check out our Instagram and our Facebook and as usual we'll be publishing at the very least the Australian reprint of this issue of the Spectre amongst other things depending what I can think up indeed and on that bombshell I've been Peter he has been Peter five more issues left of the Spectre to go not to worry I've been David we'll see you next time on the, the Earth 2 Podcast, Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated return coordinate set for Earth A small, struggling figure claws its way up the mountainside above Dalton Gange in northern Idia. Idia? Oh my god! Outtake city (laughs) at go-go, listeners, right at the start. Hmm. A small, struggling figure claws its way up the mountainside above Dalton Gange in northern... It says northern? That's what's putting me off. Yeah, it does, yeah. Ah, yeah, wonder, see, I, I knew there's something there that was thrown me. Okay, cool, right. I wonder if Neil lettered this as well. Right. Take 18. <laughs> <laughs>